This season of Crazy Sexy Food is sponsored by KeyJays. KeyJays is an independent family-run business that has been making speciality sauces for professional chefs and home cooks like myself since 1985. KeyJays first launched with its goldfish brand Curry Sauce Concentrates. More recently, they launched Taste KeyJays of Suffolk. Inspired by travels to wonderful destinations around the world, these are six authentic, quick and easy cook-in sauces and four Asian-inspired squeezy sauces. My particular favourites are the Spanish tomato sauce with its added paprika, as well as the Thai po chili sauce to rev up my meals. Order my favourites as well as the whole collection from keyjayssources.co.uk. That's K-E-E-J-A-Y-S sources.co.uk. Hello and welcome to Crazy Sexy Food. I'm your host, Hannah Harley-Young. I'm interested not only in food, but the people behind the food and the stories behind the people. Each episode, I sit down and talk all things food with well-known personalities, industry insiders and people who, well, just love their food. Today, I'm joined by a woman that exudes such sexiness without even trying. Caroline Vreeland is a woman so unapologetically herself, I'd be lying if I said I didn't want just an ounce of her vivacity, her joie de vivre. A singer, a model, an actress, a muse, her talents hold no bars. As the great-granddaughter of the infamous fashion editor Diana Vreeland, Caroline is carving her way as a multifaceted phenomenon. Not only does she own the aforementioned talents, but she first caught my eye through her evocative and sexy love of food. Her Instagram is dotted with suggestive and pleasing imagery of her favourite <laughs> things to do, eat pasta and drink wine. My yes. kind of girl. <laughs> Caroline puts the sexy into crazy sexy food, so she is just the most perfect guest for me to have on. Thank you for joining me, you sexy mama. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. What a, what a beautiful... Um... That was very nice to hear that. Oh, of so course. Thank you. Should we just kind of give the viewers a sl- um, the viewers? Well, they're not viewing, thank God, because we're just kind of like keeping them on the edge of their seats. But the listeners, you and I, we have the most beautiful cleavages between us out in the open. Honestly, She's sitting seductively in bed for me. I mean, I kind of <laughs> wish I was there. <laughs> you're there in spirit. I'm there in spirit. And you're eating. What are you eating? You have a nice little cleavage situation. I'm sorry you guys can't oh, see this. You. It's very, very appealing. <laughs> um, I fucked up, babe. Okay? Because okay. I ordered a bagel and cream cheese. And I'm I'm a purist, really, with when it comes to my bagels and, and a lot of other things that I, that I like to eat. But I like just a scallion cream cheese, everything bagel with the middle scooped out, extra toasted. Now, I in a wild fit of, I don't know what I was thinking, I added avocado it's sliding out. It's falling oh, onto yeah. the plate. It's not yeah. working. And I'm really sorry yeah. that to bring that kind of energy to this meeting. Um, normally, I don't take risks like that. But do you know my only issue? You're absolutely right. I feel like avocado has the potential to just slide out. And I get very irritated it's when slider. things deconstruct. Me too. <laughs> yeah. So as you see here, I've sort of dismantled it. And now I'm just yeah pissed. I'm sorry. It's we'll, okay. We'll make it I have, a, I have a backup. By pack. the end of this chat, you're going to be. <laughs> I have my She's just pulled the goldfish out. <laughs> when all else fails. When all else fails. 
So you are in New York right now, aren't you? Mm-hmm. I'm in Brooklyn. Um, which is my favorite city in the world. How long have you been out there? Because I thought you were a West Coast girl. Um, I, I am a West Coast girl in my heart. I was born and raised in Northern California. Then I was in LA 10 years. Um, then I did this random thing where I like fell in love with a Cuban and moved to Miami. Very strange. Um, okay. But then I realized in being in Miami that the, the East Coast was much more convenient. I was going to Europe a lot and it just made more sense to be on the East Coast. So I said, fuck it, I'll do New York, which I never thought I'd do. Not really a New Yorker. Um, and I did it. And But I, I'm in Brooklyn, so it's a bit different. It's a little bit more like LA in that it's quieter. Um, but like I said, it, it's the center of the universe. So in order to get to, it's the same distance to get to you as it is to get to LA. Yeah, totally. LA's to be honest remote. with you, if I moved back to New York, because I used to live on and off in New York in my 20s, I would move to Brooklyn happily. Yeah. I love it. Me too. Have you been to London? I have. What do you think of it? I think it is very expensive <laughs> and everything takes forever. You're always in really? an hour long taxi, I feel. Yeah, we've got quite a lot of tra traffic in this city. I do love it, though. I have um, a cousin who's a, a chef at this place oh, okay. called the the Greenhouse in Mayfair. Do you know about that? Oh, yeah. I've heard of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he's, it, he, he was like the punk of our family. He was in like a rock band called Yellow Snow. He was like, everyone's like, what's up with Alex Dilling? He's like, uh, he, he, was, he was really a punk. Now he is a Michelin star chef. He is so, the things he makes are so intricately beautiful. I mean, I'm very impressed. So every time I go to London, I always kind of go in there with like, it's a super fancy place. And I kind of go in there with like my backpack and like a little bit of like a, love it. a love rock it. and roll edge. And everyone's like, Hmm. But, um, yeah. So, but I do love London. Uh, I don't yeah. go enough for pleasure. I go for work. I'll be there mm. for a performance or something and I'll only have a couple days, but I, I, w I would love to come and spend like a week doing nothing. You need to come and spend a long weekend with me, Caroline. I'll show you the ropes. Okay. <laughs> I like that. So you you briefly mentioned that you spent a lot of your childhood in the West Coast. Talk to me about your childhood. What were you eating? Who was cooking? Was food important? What was on the table? Just give give me the whole story. Um, I, I remember having very early on this relationship with food that was different than my friends because I would go to friends' houses for dinner and you would have this thing of, you have to drink a glass of milk. You must finish your meal. And I always thought that was so strange. My mom was always like, if you're hungry, eat. If not, don't. Like there was never pressure with food, which I think is an interesting concept because now in my life, I'm everyone's always saying, you know, how do you eat all this? And I just eat what I want and then I stop when I want. I don't have a, a strange relationship, which I feel very lucky for. I know a lot of people have that with control and different things. But um, that was one of my first memories is my mom was like so easygoing about it. She was always cooking for us. Um, nothing fancy. You know, I mean, we would have... Uh, salmon steak pasta and uh i remember i was always the, the one who, my mom's a great cook my grandparents are great cooks my sister's an amazing cook but i was the one who kind of would just be like helping to slice stuff but then like stealing bites and they would always get mad at me because i would always eat all the ingredients before the meal was done and then i'd have like three bites and be like i'm full so i i guess i was kind of the um the odd man out in my family because i was the only one not cooking but the quarantine has changed me oh and now I love to cook. Oh, really? My boyfriend's a great cook too. So we've been, yeah, we have this thing in Canada where in Montreal, where we're living, um, where you, it's like blue apron where you order all the, the perfect amount of the ingredients and you cook the thing yourself. So that was my little gateway. So what have been some of your specialities this year? Well, 
aside from that, because I have learned a lot from that, but what I do make well is a sick tuna melt. I'm very oh, proud of my tuna melt. Oh, I love melt. a tuna melt. Yep. Oh my God. Okay, tell me, talk to me through that process. Well, I always do two cans because I know that we're going to end up using a little bit for later. My secret is that I always add a tiny bit of hot sauce and a tiny bit of balsamic. Ooh. A lot of lemon, lots of pepper. Yeah. And uh, you have to have a very, very dank sourdough that you're going to put it on. And then, of course, the sharp cheddar. Melt it mm. on top. Green onion goes in there as well. Serve with a little cornichon. Oh, yes. And also, a lot of people really offend me when they don't melt the cheese properly. Like, that cheese needs to be don't melted. Me it needs to be congealed. dripping down the sides. Yes. Yes. Like, I kind of want to burn my tongue on it, you know? Yes, I do. I, I, <laughs> I very much do, too. <laughs> I was um, one of those kids who wouldn't eat anything if it was green. And definitely super annoying. All my food had to be, like, perfectly white. And my sister one time had to pin me down on the floor and force feed me a bite of pesto. I said, I want nothing to do with this green thing. Get this out of here. I had one bite of pesto. I ate pesto only for the next two years straight. I would go on a flight to visit my dad in Europe and I would bring a Tupperware of my pesto on the, I, I couldn't have anything else. I kind of go no through phases like that. I mean, I get obsessed with things. So I mentioned in the intro, your great grandmother was Diana Vreeland. Um, obviously she sadly passed away when you were quite a small child. Has there been any part of her that has kind of been ingrained in your life in terms of inspiring your career path, your life ethos? Because she was such a character. I get asked this question a lot and the answer always remains the same. I think I have her fearless capability to just take risks. You know, she was not, she was raised her whole life to be told that you're not as pretty as your sister. You're not going anywhere with your life. Like all that matters is beauty. And she was like, fuck that. She completely paved her own way. And I, I don't know. I think that gave her this unabashed kind of uh, freedom and risk-taking. And I have that. I mean, even in the, in the negative sense, I was the kind of the kid that would like pull down your pants and moon your butt to the teacher. Like I just was like, I, I, I hate to compare that to Diana Vreeland, but I really feel that I have a, her fire. Yeah. And I've always had this overwhelming sense of the light at the end of the tunnel. You know, I always think there's going to be a way out. There's always going to be um, a, a better tomorrow. And so with that in mind, I'm able to take those risks and I don't have fear um, as much as, as I think other people in my life or people in my family, they have this fear of security this fear i'm like i'll sleep on a park bench till i can make it happen like i'm like i move forward you know and i think mm. i really got that from her not many people have that quality and i kind of admire people like that because i sort of there's like i feel like i'm like split there's like the side of me a friend of mine actually said this to me they were like you're either really like sensible sally or you're like the raving hannah harley that just goes hannah wild. harley well, I was named after a bike, darling. Sexy. Take a ride. <laughs> yep, my dad was a Harley rider. But my dad photographed Diana Vreeland. Really? Yes. So this is, you guys, she was teasing me and telling me we had some connection. Yes. And now here it is, out with yeah. it. Yeah. So, so explain. So my father is quite a well-known photographer in the UK. He was the first celebrity photographer in the 70s. Oh, wow. He's got Please the most do. incredible photos of your great grandmother with Warhol and Bianca Jagger. Okay, I need these. This is yeah. this is 
So it's so lovely to be with you and be like, hey, oh, I can't wait yeah. to see. Yeah, no, I'll, I'll send you some. They're really, they're fabulous photos. Isn't that cool? Yeah. Like that was sort of the feeling I had when I met um, Michael Avedon. Mm. We did a shoot together for Lampoon in, in Milan and it felt, you feel it. Even when I met Anna Cleveland, like you feel that generational kind of tug and Absolutely. it's nice. So yeah. uh, it's it's cool that we're that we're connecting. And, yeah, and that they no, do. totally. I obviously mentioned in the intro, you're a very multi multifaceted woman. I want to talk about the music because you've shown love for this form of art since like the age of eight. What is it about music that does it for you? Gosh, I mean, my earliest memory was that I knew exactly what I wanted to do from such an early age. There was never any question. There was never any in between. Like I did well in school, but I knew I was like, after high school, I want to start my life. Like I wasn't, nothing else was in, in my path. I always knew I was going to do music. And um, I guess writing songs as, sounds cliche a bit, but it's really my outlet because for better or for worse, I only really write from a negative place when I've gone through something bad and I don't know how to process it. I'm able to then, you know, take pen to paper and, and build something that essentially becomes beauty out of that negative. And that's kind of always been just my, my release with it. So if anything, I'm very grateful to it because it, it's a form of therapy for me. I don't really exercise any spirituality or I, I literally don't exercise. So I need this, like <laughs> this, um, transition of energy. And that, that is that for me. Mm. They say that, um, the most beautiful art comes from pain. So you're onto something there. My boyfriend's pissed. He's like, we're in love. Where's my song? I'm like, I don't know how to write about how I'm happy and having great sex. Like, yeah. hold on. I'll figure it out. That's my next. No, this really is my next goal is to write like a happy. I'm going to be in LA in January and I, I have a bunch of recording sessions set up. So my goal is like, don't drink whiskey, drink tequila. It'll keep you up. I'll be happy. Absolutely. I'll figure it out. So. <laughs> I'm still learning a lot. This was your first album you released this year, yeah. which was Notes on Sex and Wine, which may I say is a fabulous title. Thank you. So was this, this was written from quite off, off the back of quite a troubled time, if I'm correct. Yeah, those were the mistake, not mistake, I should not say that, of course not. But um, th that was my little Miami situation i was not in yeah, a very situation. happy relationship yeah but it, yeah. it did fuel the album so i'm grateful for that and may i just say i only watched a, a few days ago your stay drunk with me video <laughs> and the funniest thing happened so i'm watching it and i'm like you know someone in it uh, no no i i was there sitting at my desk minding my own business watching this video basically saying that i need to be friends with this woman because i think <laughs> she's incredible and why i'm not in the video i don't know why anyway my husband is sitting across from the room and he's, cause I've got it like playing out of my laptop. He's like, what is happening? This song is turning me on. Yes, I turned on my husband. And I was like, I'm doing research. Calm down, boy. Hey, so Did you notice how the guy in the beginning that pours my wine after I push him down under the table, he has been down there doing you know what. I know, I noticed you know what. it. <laughs> I'm like, it's very subtle. It's just basically just a big wipe of a... <laughs> I saw end. it at the end. Nothing passes me, Caroline. Nothing passes me. <laughs> I like that about you. I like that. I, that it's so those little touches watch. that I like. <laughs> it's more than a little touch. Well, 
I, I'd like to ask either. <laughs> so, <laughs> aside from the music, you're very big on the fashion scene. How do you find the industry? I forgot about it. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> yeah, it's, I know, of course, they're going to blaze through. But um, I mean, Fashion Week and, and all those jobs with different brands and designers, it seems like a different life. I mean, it was only, or maybe it's been a year, I guess, already. But um, it's a challenging industry. But I do think it goes hand in hand with music. And at the risk of sounding like I'm biting the hand that feeds me, like, it's obviously not first place in my heart, but it is in my blood and I'm lucky to be involved in it. But um, it's interesting because I think musicians often try to get into the fashion world. That's always kind of a segue that happens. And I had the opposite where I was doing my music, but I was not known for that. And then I had the option of being in this in this world and working in the fashion industry. But then I tried to redirect the energy to show, hi, I've always been doing music. This has been you know, at the mm. forefront of my life. And it was hard for people to realign and realize that. So I have this kind of unique relationship with it where I'm like grateful to be invited in. Like I said, it's very much an elitist world, which is something I don't like about it. Um, yeah. It's fashion should really be for everybody. But, um, and I think that's what also what Diana Vreeland stood for. But anyway, um, I have this kind of unique relationship with it where it did support me. I didn't have to work in a nightclub anymore. I didn't have to bartend. I didn't have to do all those other jobs, you know, to make rent. So in that way, I'm grateful for it. But it was a big hurdle for me to try to show people like, actually, I've been doing music all along. And this is what I really care about. So so why did you feel like this was the time to kind of start like focusing on that? Was that maybe like a confidence thing? Or was it just this was the right time? I mean, I had always been focusing on it. This album that I released is like, the fourth one I've written in, in, in a big, um, body of work, but this is just the first one I've put out. So I just wasn't, music was costing me money. You know, I, I was, and the other thing was making me money. So I lost track a little bit. And finally I was getting on my feet. I was in my twenties, early twenties and starting to kind of be independent. And, um, I don't know, I think I got caught up in it. It's definitely a whirlwind, um, a beautiful whirlwind, but something that takes you all around the world and then you kind of lose sight of, of, um, I was trying to, you know, do recording at night and other things during the day. But when you're out of town for three months for fashion week or whatever, you're, you're, you're not as focused. What I really admire about you is this sort of incredible confidence and this unapologetic attitude that I've sort of touched on, especially when it comes to your body. And I know we were talking just before we started recording about our mutual, uh, what should we call this? Our mutual boobies. Mm -hmm. Our mutual boobies, does that even make sense? Yeah, I love Basically, it. Basically, we both have large bosoms <laughs> and yours are just, I mean, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm just like staring at you. I mean, it's amazing. <laughs> Especially in the fashion industry, how do you feel about the pressures as a woman to potentially look a certain way, to conform to certain ideals? Because I think why I keep saying that I admire you because I've really struggled with mine. Yeah. You know, there have been times where I really have thought about going to have them reduced. Me too. And I still and I still haven't really that may happen, I don't know. But how like how do you get around that? How have you got around that? At first it was a big deterrent, especially um in fashion, you know. They they I remember being on a shoot. It was my first ever shoot. It was for Vogue Italia and it was with Michelle Comte. And I did like 
two hours of hair and makeup. I had this huge beehive thing happening and I'm looking over at the rack and it's a swim thing. And I'm like, none of this stuff is going to ever even cover an areola over here. Okay. I don't know what I'm going to do. We get me into like the biggest possible thing that we had. I come into the shot and he literally stands there for 20 minutes and he's like talking to all his assistants. He's like, this is just, he's like, I love you, but I can't, I can't do this. I can't shoot you. And I had to leave the set, <laughs> my first ever like oh big shoot. Gosh. And the next thing I did was with Corinne Reutfeld in Paris. And, you know, when she called me and called my agent, I said, you know, does she know about the situation because of what happened last time? She said, honey, this whole shoot is about that. It's about you as you. We're making bras, we're having bras made. That And that was what really turned my mind because Diana Vreeland did that too, though. She was always the one to say like, I want to see the the um, profile of Barbara Streisand's nose on the cover. I want to see Mick Jagger's lips. It's like I, I started to realize that this was such a big part of who I was, literally big part of who I was, that I wasn't going to ever try to change. And I wasn't going to try to downplay it or hide it because it's there. There's nothing, you know, If uh, that's another lesson too that I've learned over the years is that if you ever have something to own, you own it first and then no one can say shit to you. You know what I mean? And so I just... Mm-hmm. I made it my thing. I would never want boobs this big. Are you crazy? My dream is to have a low, that low cut dress, you know, that comes to here with no bra. That's not. Oh, do you know what? That is like my dream. It's a dream. Is to just walk out well, what about... with no bra and just allow them to just sit oh, yeah. and flow. Sit and flow. Ours are just like more of like <laughs> the hang and wave. What size, what size are your boobs? Uh, I'm a 32F. I sounded, I sounded so tired. That's right. Do you know what it is? Because your frame is so, because you're much slimmer than I am. Because I'm a 32, it depends, but a 32G. But I think because if I bring, I'm just, guys, there they are. I'm showing my full, like, but yeah, I just, I don't know. It's taken me a very long time to like fully accept them. It's not, uh, whenever I start to feel like, okay, I feel a little sloppy, you know, that feeling, or you're like, you know something's not going to fit. It's like always in the back of yeah. your mind. I started yeah. to realize one thing that a friend of mine who has nothing said is like, you can fill out a dress and you feel like a woman. That's always in the forefront of my mind is that even though it's not, we don't know what the, how the other half lives, the feeling of knowing we can fill out a dress and feel feminine, that I really yeah. like. And I like yeah, the lines associated with, with it. Like I used to hate when they hang from the side and it looks like a National Geographic situation. Yeah. Now I'm yeah. like, don't edit out that hanging side boob. I like it. Like you just yeah. learn to no, I know what you mean. appreciate it a little yeah. bit. Yeah. I think, you know what, it's when I'm wearing something that's tight and bodycon that I do look at myself and I'm like, I'm a woman. Yeah. And you know what? I was given these and they're a gift and there are people out there who are spending thousands of pounds exactly to I try have. to get this and the grass is never bloody greener so whatever just live with it hannah and shut up basically and i'm sure your husband has no qualms he has no qualms <laughs> and that's how i'll leave it yeah. <laughs> yeah it's not easy to like love love your body it's not an easy thing to do no so but i think you know what there's also no such thing as perfection it's like if i had my boobs done they'll be they'll then be something else and it just becomes a slippery slope right one thing that I love about the way you portray yourself on social media, on Instagram in particular, is that you show every <laughs> Thank part you. I have of no yourself. fucking shame. You are completely unfiltered. 
No, but you're completely unfiltered in this very filtered world. You know, you will show yourself crying. You will show yourself angry. You'll obviously show yourself happy and having your best life. Why is that important to you? It's so important to me. Um, Think about all the other people we fucking follow. Think about how they're like, here I am with a latte. No offense. Shout out to the lattes, whatever you guys want to do, like to each their (laughs) own. But like a lot of those people that I know that portray that life, I know that their life isn't like that. And it's so not interesting to see this perfect thing that they think the world wants to see. So I try to show... I don't know. I think it's, it's humbling. I like my, my old manager called me. He's like, no one needs to see that you're throwing up because you have salmonella. This is an instance of what you do not need to film. I'm like, I don't know why for better or for worse. I just have this ability to just bear all. I don't know. And I, social media is such a crazy thing in our lives now and it controls so much and we have to be careful of course. But um, it's been such a tool for me to be able to show who I am and the story behind. And when it comes to all the music, like I know that when people listen to Notes on Sex and Wine, they know what the songs are about because they saw me going through it. I was literally sitting on the floor in the living room in Miami, chugging two bottles of wine, being like, what is my life? So I like that there's a the ability to tie that in and you can hear where the music's coming from because music is so intimate. But it's when you sit in for a writing session, you're kind of putting into um you're putting a whole experience into three minutes and I love that trust me it makes it more universal and I love the process but sometimes I like to kind of take a step back and when I listen to other songs of artists I like I'm trying to pick through and see okay I know this about their lives was this about this I think it's interesting and being able to when I show everything that's going on in social media I think that that kind of hopefully will tie into like the story of what I'm writing about and I mean, you only can write from what you know, but I think it's really important to show the good, the bad, the ugly. I like that. I think it's more interesting. It's sexier. It's it's real life. I can identify more with that than no offense to the latte crew, but to the latte crew. <laughs> yeah, I agree with that. <laughs> I mean, I love a latte, but, you know, not every day. Anyway, <laughs> um, something else that obviously you you put on your Instagram is your total love for food pasta wine can we just talk about your photos because i need to know the secret to a caroline vreeland food selfie when i try and take a picture of myself with pasta coming out of my mouth i look like shrek so (laughs) what is the secret (laughs) Uh, because i I haven't seen anything more sexy well you're sweet so (laughs) The first secret is if you're having dinner and you want this picture taken and you're not the one actually taking it, the person across from you is taking it, they have to be willing to get the shot. Now, it's so annoying when you have to ask someone to help you with a photo. My boyfriend, I've trained him. He knows to sneak up on me, sneak up on me with the camera, take the picture when I'm not looking. I am always looking. So you want it quite candid. Yes. Otherwise, it becomes kind of a whole... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pony show, dog and pony show. Um, So I would say the first thing is to have someone who is willing to just snap, snap, snap and not irritated by it because that doesn't ever make the shot nice because then you feel weird about asking. Um, And the next thing is enjoy it. Feel like there should be a big smile. There should be the joy of food. That's why I eat is because I love to eat. I have friends that just eat for fuel. 
my best friend Ryan, he's like mm. grossed out by food. He's like, I will force myself to eat a banana because I know I have to. But for me, there's a joy in it. I, I like to go and I close my eyes when I have the bite. I cried once in Greece over a piece of garlic bread. I broke up with a guy one time because I, he did not allow me to order a second order of meatballs at the restaurant I, I, that I love the meatballs. But the point is you have I to have that joy. You have to feel that, that moment where you – I did. He was oh, okay, he's dead to me. Okay. <laughs> um, but you need to close your eyes and feel that feeling. And when you can capture that and that comes out in the photo, I think that makes it great. Who cares if there's a piece hanging out or you look at with a crazy eye or there's a wine stain here. That's all good stuff. But as long as you can feel yeah. the joy of loving food, then I think the picture will be great. I genuinely think this was the best photography tutorial I've ever yes. ever had. <laughs> and I studied photography at university. <laughs> <laughs> I know you've kind of mentioned um, about your relationship with food, but on a day-to-day -day basis, what is Caroline Vreeland eating? Good question. When I wake up, I like my coffee black or maybe with like a little bit of almond milk. And then um, I'm, I'm a total purist when it comes to my toast. I need either sourdough or rye, plain piece of toast. I want a lot of salted butter, a squeeze of lemon, a dash of salt, and that's it. That's my ideal favorite breakfast. Um, when I'm in Germany and or I'm having breakfast with my dad, I'll do the whole like cheese spread and the, you know, the charcuterie stuff. Like that's a very German way to eat. But normally for me, it's just the bread, the butter, the salt, and the lemon. And then at lunch... I guess that's when I'll do my pasta, you know? And then sometimes okay. at dinner, I'll just, my boyfriend makes me the best green salad ever and it's covered in raw garlic, which is not great for our digestion, but it's my favorite. Um, no, but it's great on the, it's great on the tongue and the lips uh, and in the mouth. <laughs> it's my favorite. I was eating so much raw garlic during the quarantine that I will, I will spare you the gory details, but something inside me broke. Like I literally went to the ER during COVID and showed them my, you know what? And I was like, help. My body was rejecting no me. Way. I was eating a full bulb a day, raw. Like, what is that? I thought it's good for my heart. I have high cholesterol. So I'm like, it'll help. I was about to say, but also garlic has very good health benefits. When it, it needs to not be raw. And if you do right. it raw, it needs to be in like <laughs> limited quantities. I learned that the hard way, please. <laughs> I feel like the Help way yourselves. that you eat garlic is the way that I eat hot sauce. <laughs> oh my God, I'm addicted. And then, so usually he'll just make me my little my little green salad for dinner. And I've cut out red meat pretty much. I mean, I'll still have a pepperoni pizza because fuck you if you don't have a pepperoni pizza. It's the best. Damn right. So I'll have it in little bits, but I don't, I don't really eat red meat anymore. Um, I'm obviously a big salmon lover. And that's, you're looking at it, you know? bread cheese and it's looking it's garlic looking good all the good things in life yes the biggest question of the day is going to be pizza or pasta pasta but i'll let you in on a secret that i don't tell many people my favorite food isn't pasta <laughs> my favorite food is, my mouth is dropped my favorite food is garlic bread really i don't i know pasta's right up there pasta's second for sure but and the garlic bread can't be this fucking pansy shit where they take the bread no. and there's barely any like sink you know i like the oil to really yeah. sink yeah so yeah garlic bread is my favorite favorite food more than pasta but keep it between us wow okay i'm i sort of like don't even know what to say i feel like i need to like stop the whole chat right now and kind of process you everything. speak to me again you're like fuck you <laughs> delete her number <laughs> i mean I, I kind of see what you're saying. Um, 
I don't know how to process this. I guess I, I will say that I love I love my pasta, but a good bite of garlic bread is, a, I think it's such a yeah. game changer. I'm just, that's all I'm saying, okay? Take it or leave it. Where is the best garlic bread you've ever had? The g- best I've ever had is, this sounds so crazy, but I was working at this stupid nightclub called Sound. All the managers there had a Napoleon complex, two tight suits, would ask you to do crazy shit. I, anyway, the point is I got fired from every club I ever worked at because I had an attitude. Can you imagine? Anyway, I would go before work, which is funny because I'd eat garlic bread before. I'm like, would you like to buy a bottle of Ace of Spades? They're like, get this bitch out of here. There's a restaurant next to Sound in LA in Hollywood called Michelli's. It's like this old school kind of like grimy place where they've worked for like, all the guys have worked there for a hundred years. I don't even think I've even had dinner there. I just take away the garlic bread and it's the sourdough cut into these thick, dense pieces and there's oil all the way through and there's garlic on every bite. And that is my favorite garlic bread in the world. Michelli is in Hollywood. <laughs> oh my God, I'm actually salivating. I know, there you go. And do you do you make a good garlic bread? I do. I also make a very good pesto, but because the main ingredient on both is the garlic, a lot of people can't hang. And um, I tend to be able to finish off the, the portion all by myself because I just, oh, I overdo it a little bit. You and I really need to hang out. <laughs> I would like that. I'm just like sitting here and I'm just thinking all these, like, I mean, obviously mainly on a food level, but it's just very funny because the way you talk about food is very similar to how I have conversations with my, even just with myself. So, Where would you good. take me for pasta if I came to London? Um, okay, so one place that is absolutely mind-blowing is, and there's, there's a few now in London, it's a place called Padella. Okay, I haven't heard of it. And there's maybe like eight different pastas on the menu. That's all they sell pretty much. And actually, Mm. I think they do a garlic bread. Um, The portions are very small. So you'll get, basically, you'll order all eight. Yeah, you'll have the whole whole flavor profile and and not feel too. Oh, yeah. And I'm literally getting on that table and doing a whole Instagram shoot with you for that. Like, we're literally going to get on all fours, all eight plates. Um, I would probably say there, but if you want like proper traditional Italian um gosh do you know what i don't think i've actually found there's a few beautiful local italians close to where i live in west london that i really love that do a delicious just simple um, the way italian is done best is simply i find yeah simple it's just a tomato sauce with pesto on top actually which is really delicious a place called ascenza near portobello in notting hill Um, i'm sure when you go in there they're like She's coming. She has the sexy yeah, food podcast. <laughs> Get it ready for her. And they like make it perfect for you because they know you're going to talk about it on the air. Damn right. You really, they're, you really set not, yourself up now. for a great situation over there. I need to start a food podcast. And they'll be like, she's here. Bring her everything she wants. Literally. Yeah. That's the reaction I require when I, when I enter a restaurant. I'll be honest with you, though. The best pasta I've ever had was in Rome. Of course. Cacio Pepe from Rome. It's, with, it's the best. It's a be, yeah, it's, there's You know. And it's honestly you know, like, replaced. Off the radar. It could be on the corner of the street. Like, it doesn't even need to be the fancy restaurant. It's just great. The wine is cheap. The men fawn all over you. Caroline, so sexy. Everything. Like, <laughs> I mean, literally everything. I, I could live in Rome happily. Aside from cooking, let's just take it back to pre-COVID days. Where are some of your favorite restaurants? Here in New York, my staple is Frank's, Little Frankie's um, in the Lower East Side. That's where I get my limone pasta. And uh, we have a funny relationship because I went to his wedding actually last summer. 
and I was the only person invited that was a patron of the restaurant. Like everyone else was friends and family, but I went there so much that we we established a relationship. Um, so that's my number one. I love to go to Lucienne across the street and have martinis. Um, let me think about here in Brooklyn. I mean, Lilia is amazing for pasta in Brooklyn. Um, there's a little place in Fort Greene I love called Dino, and I go and I have my little Peroni and my um, niçois salad with my book. Um, and I just discovered a new place called Osteria Brooklyn, Osteria Brooklyn, and it's all over on Myrtle. And I kind of he just he made it through the quarantine, you know what I mean? And they're like building the terrace yeah. outside, and he's like very like I, I think he told me he's from Sardinia, and he's very kind of like wanting everything to be perfect and I'm the only one eating in there so far because I think people are just a little scared to keep going out to eat yeah but, yeah yeah um so that's a really nice vibe and the pasta is amazing um yeah but I've been more and more proud of cooking my, for myself lately which I never thought I would say I thought I was like the mm. kid that would never grow up you know but now we like I feel like this year has kind of forced everybody to it really, really has like, now I keep plants alive hands on in the kitchen yeah what's that totally Right, I finished my chats with a few quick fire questions. Love it. So my favorite snack in the entire world is a packet of crisps, which is a packet of chips for you guys. What's your favorite flavor of chips and why? I'm not a chip person. Can I choose Triscuits? What are Triscuits? Triscuits. They are like wheat woven crackers with salt. That and a sharp cheddar is my snack. So they're like savory though. They're like little, yes. just like savory crackers. Yes. You're allowed to pass on that one. Okay. You're allowed to do Thank that. You. I must say I'm very partial to a goldfish. I know you're eating Ugh. them, but that's what I'm, I, really I'm com I grew up on goldfish and white cheddar yeah. cheese popcorn grew up on that too. Oh my God. I love that stuff. Mm -hmm. They still don't have it in the UK. I can't believe it. Oh, I'll ship you some. It's mad. I literally, it's in my bones. I have eaten so much of it. <laughs> yes. um, but it's funny because in Montreal where I'm living, where my boyfriend's living, um, they're obsessed with this ketchup chip thing. Did you guys know about that? Ketchup chips. Okay, it's so funny Gross. you say this. So I have um, another guest, I think, yeah. So I just recorded with a guy called Jared, who is the man that owns Two-Faced Cosmetics. Mm -hmm. He's one of the one of my guests on the podcast. And he kept talking about these ketchup uh, chips. You can't do it. I've never heard of them. <laughs> it's a thing. Everyone goes crazy for it in Montreal. It's mad. My auntie lives there. I need to get her to send me some because I just can't envision it. What is the craziest food you've ever eaten? I'm not very adventurous um, with weird things. So I guess I would say a snail, which my boyfriend's French. He's going to be like, <laughs> that's not crazy. But uh, yeah, I guess a snail. Sorry, that's not very exciting. No, I, to be honest with you, that's probably going to be mine, especially because I actually have a huge phobia of snails. So I'm taking that one. His grandparents used to make him when he, him and his sister, when they were young, my, my boyfriend find the snails, put them in a box of lavender for like a day. And then they would eat the ones they found. So French. <laughs> so, French. so French. What has been your most memorable meal? I would say when I got my wisdom teeth taken out and I could only have Jamba juice for three days. The first thing I ate after that was my grandmother came over. I remember she came over specifically and her and my mom both made me a sage butter ravioli and they both worked on it. And it was the first taste of food after those fucking things were in my mouth for three days. And uh, that was the best thing I've ever had for sure. Okay. Next question. What is your, <laughs> well, we know the answer to this. <laughs> what is your favorite food? <laughs> 
I already bust my nut with that one, babe. <laughs> I already let that cat you out of the bag. You went in too early. Sorry. <laughs> That's the old garlic bread. Okay, and your final question, and I also probably know the answer to this as well. Live to eat or eat to live? Live to eat. Live to eat. Good girl. Live. Good girl. I, 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 it's, <laughs> it's not a choice, you know. The, it's just the way I am, man. No, food to me. The ceremony of opening a bottle of wine with friends... The idea of literally breaking bread at the table and just talking and st- and discussing things and being amongst amongst like-minded people—that is also, you know, the reason to eat. Aside from the taste being delicious, of course. No, I think it's the whole experience. I always say this to people: it's not just about the food on the table; it's about the people that you're with. It's the place where you're you're at. It's the whole dance. Exactly, Caroline. This has been a pleasure. You're so sweet. I can't Thank believe you. it's taken this long for us to meet. I hope that we will be friends for a long time. I can't wait to get over to America and for us to go and eat and drink to our heart's delight. Well, if you come to LA, I'll give you I'll get you tacos and strip clubs. My that's my little LA. The best tacos uh, and the yes. best strip clubs. I love tacos. I'm surprised we haven't spoken about tacos actually because tacos are like very high up there after my pasta and pizza. Me too. Mexican's my number two. You can follow Caroline on social media at Caroline Vreeland. Until next time. Aw, thank you. It was such a pleasure. Thank you for listening this week. If you love what you hear, please subscribe and leave a lovely review. And if you can't get enough of me, Follow me on Instagram at Crazy Sexy Food and do visit the Crazy Sexy Food YouTube channel where there are plenty of shows for you to watch. Until next time, bye. Bye.